0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another patron special. We're revisiting an old TNG episode. So if you're listening to the podcast the first time through and you wonder why the audio sounds better and uh, we seem to know what we're talking about a little bit more comfortably, it's because we're redoing this because the patrons have funded a TNG revisit. We're like five years after we did this. Originally, I think I only did Data's Day originally. It was a standalone episode, so it was probably 10 minutes long. Not a great analysis, but now we're back with Clay. Clay, how are you? And we're going to talk about Data's Day.
1: I'm good. You can also tell how many cigarettes I've smoked since that as well.
0: <laughs> Clay's, to get through the remainder of um, Star Trek Picard and Star Trek Discovery, Clay picked up a three-pack-a-day habit, unfortunately. But here we are. Not immortal. Very taxing like an on my income. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I there's going to be some kind of joke there about uh, some kind of pro-cigarette industry about being taxed. Uh, literally or something but i'll, I'll avoid it <laughs> let's get into data's day we're going to play some music
1: accessing library computer data
0: and to make sure history never forgets the name enterprise Okay, so Data's Day is the 11th episode of the fourth season, aired on January 7th, 1991. Teleplay goes to Harold Apter and Ronald D. Moore. Story credit goes to Harold Apter, directed by Robert Weimer. In this episode, Data records a day in his life for Commander Bruce Maddox, including observations on Chief O'Brien's wedding and the mystery of a Vulcan ambassador who apparently dies in a transporter accident. So the patrons voted for this one for us to talk about Clay. Uh, it was mm. suggested before we even put up the poll on Patreon about redoing it. And um, obviously it has to do because we're right in the midst of the end, the midst of the end of Star Trek Picard's first season where Bruce Maddox played a big role. I completely forgot that Data's Day was built around the concept of Data writing a pen pal letter to Bruce Maddox about <laughs> how his life is going. But um I don't know. Would you, you weren't here for this the the first time that we went through this. This is a very iconic episode, I think. A lot of people know this one. It's uh unique in the TNG pantheon of episodes. But what did you think about it?
1: I thought it was good. Um I don't if I had seen this one before, I had not seen it in a very long time because I did not remember anything about it. Um I think it's uh it's a really clever way to get into the head of Data. Um, to oddly enough humanize him by making by uh, accenting what makes him less human. Yep, it makes him a little bit more relatable and not and more than just like the guy who does the head twitch and doesn't understand jokes and stuff. Yeah, you get a little um, internal
0: monologue. There's voiceover narration, which is unusual in this episode, and so you hear his thoughts as he's kind of going through the day. And the the episode is really just like. It's plots, I suppose, but they seem like a lot of little vignette scenes between characters. And the the thing that stuck out to me was just that, you know, modern Trek, which I'm going to consider the uh, Abrams universe and Discovery and Picard, don't do these kind of episodes anymore, which are... Well, you know, it's funny, because I actually... (coughs) Excuse me. The first thing I
1: thought of was that it's obviously different, given uh, the shows, but... And the ultimate outcomes. But it reminded me a little bit of that episode of Discovery, um, where you see the backstory of the robot lady, whose name I forget. Arium. Yeah. Wasn't that kind of similar to this, or was that just a bunch of... It... Yeah, because she's like wiping her memory or something, right? Yeah, so but she's... See...
0: the episode isn't built around her <clears throat> point of view, really. It's just you she you get a subplot of her in the episode Going through things that have to relate to her past and her day, but it's not—it's not built around. This is how she perceives the day to day on the ship.
1: Was it not? I thought. Th- I thought that was the se- central point. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't think so. Uh, uh, but yeah, it, this sort of episode is definitely not the norm. In I mean, I, that being said, even if it is the same, that's one other instance across however many hundreds of episodes of Star Trek where they do something like this. Sure. So it's not—it's definitely not the norm. Um, and yeah I, I I think of all the characters to do it with he was He's probably the best one to do it with
0: My friend Cheap O'Brien Often says that above all else He wants to make Keiko happy Since cancelling the wedding will make her happy I must conclude that Cheap will be pleased at her decision I have good news Oh?
1: Keiko has made a decision designed to increase her happiness She has
0: cancelled the wedding She what? Cancel the wedding? today without even a word of all the childish selfish irresponsible things to do next time maybe i should deliver the good news commander maddox it would appear that my program designed to predict emotional responses needs adjustment they settled on Data. They were originally thinking it was going to be Picard. Then they, I think, they wanted to do Geordie or something. Then they're like, Geordie's kind of boring. <laughs> we can't do yeah. Uh Picard is a little bit too. Picard would have been an interesting choice, right? Although I think a lot of the charm of this one is that you are—he's Data's a senior officer, but he's not top of the food chain, so he doesn't know exactly what's going on in this mission. Mm-hmm. Which, I, which I really like the Vulcan thing. He's he's kind of kept isolated, and it's it's interesting because he being data is not really aware that there's something suspicious going on. So he never really thinks about it. And yeah. he just kind of goes along with this plot line as uh, this shady undertaking is going on. The other reason I assume people wanted us to watch this is this is a case of a uh, Romulan posing as a Vulcan, which is happening mm. in Picard currently, or we think it's happening in Picard. Yes. Uh,
1: yeah. I was trying to figure out, um, does it, it is possible I missed some details because I, was falling asleep a little bit as I was watching it, but I'm pretty sure I got everything. Um, is there an an overarching reason for the subterfuge going on, or is it just something that happens in the
0: background? Overarching in terms of... As
1: far as, far as the, uh, the Romulan posing as the Vulcan thing.
0: No, it, I mean, it's a self-contained to this episode plot. It's just they are supposed to deliver an ambassador somewhere. That ambassador turns out to be a spy.
1: Yeah, okay. So but there's no like larger story that they talk about that the fact that, that this person ends up being a Romulan really affects anything. No, really. it doesn't it's affect anything. Sort of, it's just yeah, a standalone okay. thing. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah. Uh it is it is a little it is a an odd um bit of plot to throw in there, uh given that it ultimately doesn't really have real uh much to do with anything except for that it's just oh it's kind of clever but it is a it is a nice little thing to um show how data dips in and out of these things and ultimately how he ends up helping find the solution and stuff
0: yeah i i like it because it it gives i think the episode would be a little bit more strange if it didn't have that tng normal kind of plot thread on it like if it was really just the mundane day-to-day of data's life that seems like it's almost so detached from the show that you you kind of have to insert a bigger plot that would be the normal focus of a normal episode into it to make it feel like Mm -hmm. it's a tng plot in some ways yeah
1: i i like that it doesn't it's not so um overbearing that it becomes like the centerpiece of everything it's just something it's just like a little piece of of um how how the politics of space work uh to give it a little bit of star trek f- spice to it yeah can't can't um, all be but,
0: learning to dance and getting ready for a wedding and stuff you got to have yeah. you got to have a little bit of subterfuge and diplomacy and neutral zone stuff and things like that yeah
1: well you know it's part of the the whole thing they kind of give you a little bit of everything in his day uh where it's whether it's learning how to dance or uh person to person interaction or dealing with uh shady diplomacy or whatever uh, you get a little bit of everything,
0: and I think it, I think it works pretty well. Yeah, yeah. It's um. This is the first appearance of Keiko.
1: Is it really? So yeah, this is
0: her first episode. She gets married in her, her very first appearance.
1: Well, I mean, when she said she was calling off the wedding, I, my first instinct was probably for the best. <laughs> of what I know now,
0: uh, run, run for your life doesn't work out but, well uh, for them we we just finished covering DS9 obviously and we have a lot to say about the O'Brien uh, relationship between these two but this is it, it's charming going back to this to see like young Colmini in I know like- that
1: was I have to say and I don't mean this to sound terrible but it was kind of jarring
0: <laughs> <laughs> you used to his, his pod yourself from five years later when he's let himself go and he's in this relationship on this uh, dead end job at the, yeah, the edge of the universe he just
1: he settles into the uniform, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um and in this one he was shockingly young. I was I was not expecting
0: it. You do see even in the the brief appearances you get out of O'Brien in this, you do see why they would consider him to be capable enough of an actor to carry on as a new recur as a as a main cast member in mm. a new show. Yeah. He is good. Um, we had problems with the O'Brien character in our DS9 coverage, but mostly as the character and not Colin Meany's uh, acting or anything like that, but he is a Especially in the terms of TNG, where you don't get a lot of great recurring characters on it. He's he's very solid in that role. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, doesn't have a ton to do. I think he's got like three lines in this episode. Yeah, but, uh, fights back against Data a little bit. Of all the, of all the selfish things to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's very good. Very good. But yeah, it's Keiko's first appearance. And Keiko doesn't come in with a very strong uh opening being like i want to call off the wedding and i'll have someone else break the news to my fiance." <laughs> I yeah i was
1: i'm really shocked to hear that because it, it it seems very strange to introduce her through through this specific plot um yeah i mean i guess if you're gonna if if you're writing your script and you're like oh what if he has to be the intermediary for a wedding well who would get married uh, i don't know probably like o'brien yeah who's he gonna get married to I don't know the Asian Woman botanist. Keiko. The- yeah,
0: <laughs> this, sh- this episode actually um, introduced not just Keiko, but her whole the botanical garden thing where she works is a mm. new set. That replicator set where they replicate gifts apparently is a is a new set. There I a lot of things built for this episode. Scene. I loved the wharf
1: and Data at the
0: replicator. It's a great. It's a great scene. It's really isn't good. It? Yeah, it's, it's really. <laughs> <laughs> He's wharfs like humans give each other these things It's yeah a very good i have reading.
1: i have more experience at human weddings there's dancing and lots of talking
0: <laughs> it's a it's um it's a nice scene because it actually does make uh, very prominent the fact that data and Worf are pretty similar as characters to each other how mm. they are both fish out of water in this new situation but even just because of how uh, bizarre Worf views data they never really connect on any kind of level like warf doesn't right. really connect with data in any way even though they are very similar to each other he never.
1: Uh, Worf has never uh, espoused any anti-synth views, has he? No, I not know. Not that I'm aware of. He I know Pulaski. Strength. I know Pulaski was pretty down on Data. Yes. Yeah, I'm surprised. I'm I'm surprised, but also happy that they didn't evolve that trait into Worf.
0: Yeah. It. it I, I mean it. I think that uh, TNG does do a lot of. One on one kind of character stuff But I'm like the uh, the dancing scene Here kind of sticks out to me because Maybe this is just this bad memory at this point But it never felt like uh, Crusher And Data really mm-hmm. talked to each other all that much There might be a byproduct Crusher never really Talked to anybody all that much because of how Secondary of mm-hmm. a character was too but um, That scene's really good I like the learning To dance scene I think that Spiner gets to do This episode works For me because it's good Data comedy I think yeah, it's not generations like Mr. Tricorder stuff, which is intentionally over the top. But I think Spiner plays it up even way too much in those scenes. He here, I really like the joke of like when she tells him to smile, and then they're spinning around dancing, and the camera shows him, and his smile is like terrifyingly yes, uh, horrific. Yes. Which is, it's very funny, but that's good data stuff, I think. Yeah, have you seen that deleted scene? I probably
1: brought this up before, the deleted scene from Terminator Two where where he tries to learn how to smile.
0: I think you brought it up before. I'm not sure I've ever seen. It's very,
1: it's very similar. You can find it on YouTube. Yeah, just he gives Um, like a
0: creep because a little bit of that scene is in Terminator, isn't it? Where he's teaching him to smile.
1: That scene is not. There might be like a callback to it later. That uh, that doesn't make sense in context because they cut the first half of it. Mm. But uh, it's like you know they go inside his head and you see his Terminator thing like doing the graphic analysis of how the smile functions, muscles and stuff. And then he does it, and it's obviously terrifying. Um. Yeah, I think I think what's fun about that scene is the the best data comedy tends to not come from data himself, but from how what he says and does affects other people. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, it's very much Crusher being kind of annoyed that all he has to do is just watch her dance and yes. he pick it up. <laughs>
0: her lifetime of work is uh, undone yeah. by this android who just has to Which watch is- her feet.
1: Which is probably why she changes her hair three times in this episode, which I found very jarring as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, not one, not one to be uh, penned in, Beverly Crusher. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the dancing scene is, I, is good. Uh, so I I,
1: I, the thing the thing that I love about that whole thing is like it's 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 Crusher's like secret shame
0: that yes. she knows how to dance. She <laughs> <laughs> pulls him <them> aside. <laughs> I'll never go back to being the dancing doctor. Not again. Yeah,
1: I want to know. Did they ever? Has they ever done a prequel
0: comic about that? I'd love to know what the story behind. She that is. just did it to pay her way through med school. That's all. Oh there's boy, there is nothing. Oh, boy. you know, there is nothing wrong with that. Um, I like the scene. I think I think Data's comedy in it is pretty good. It has it has the usual tropey Data stuff about like not understanding idioms and being like I I just I do think that the the comedy of Data being like well logically. Uh O'Brien wants Keiko to be happy. And if Keiko is not in the wedding, that makes her happy. So therefore, logically, uh, Chief O'Brien should be happy when I tell her that he, she doesn't want to get married to him anymore. Yes, yeah. I, I think that really is good data stuff. And it's not the sort of like misunderstanding what a word means or sort of, you know, something else that's kind of silly yeah. it or shows, unimpactful. It shows the
1: inherent flaw in uh, precisely logic-based thinking.
0: Yeah, Yep. Yeah, it does. And he even, he even has a line where he, um when he's sharing the the elevator, the turbo lift with the Vulcan ambassador, he says he he respects the Vulcans or whatever, but he thinks that they're too uh, severe or something is his, yeah. his, his takeaway on them.
1: Yeah, what does he say? He's like, uh, I since Vulcans cannot lie, I have to take everything she says as a fact, but I also come away with a sense of uneasiness
0: or something like yes, that. Yes, I wish that I had a gut instinct that I could yes, verify yes. myself against, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, you know what's funny is that lo- that that uh, computer logic that he uses regarding Keiko is a smaller, funnier version of the way that they always explain how um, AI ends up destroying the planet. Right? Where it's like, uh, well, they the artificial intelligence determined that if there are no humans around to destroy each other, then they can't do that, so they decided to kill all the humans or whatever.
0: Yes, it's the. Um the best way to cure cancer is to kill the things that would get cancer. And exactly, therefore you yes. stop cancer. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's good in this. And I, I do really like the fact that I do think it's good that because data trusts the Vulcans implicitly, and he is not one to sort of, they, they mentioned a few times that he's like thinking about what's going on, mostly because the script wants to clue you into the fact that something's up with that plot line. Data isn't distracted by stuff like that. When she calls him in and is like, Tell me the weakness of this ship and he's like, Why do you why do you want to know about the weakness of this ship? And she says, Never mind, it was a test.
1: Yeah. We're in that sweet <laughs> wearing that sweet hat. Do you think that's do you think that's what this the deep blue sea song was about when he says deepest bluest my head is like a shark's fin? <laughs>
0: Commodore O should start wearing the uh, the elf hat with the ears cut out so that they can uh, you can tell who they are and stuff like that. They're
1: great swimmers.
0: Yeah, very aerodynamic or uh, whatever the water dynamic word would be. Um, Hydro capable. Why do why do you think people wanted us to rewatch this one? What stuck out? What 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 do you think? uh, Do you think this one deserves to be kind of the iconic TNG episode that's frequently mentioned and is the the gif of? Crusher and Data dancing is very famous. The, the idea of this episode is very famous and sort of brought up as like an example of TNG doing something unique with its scripting. um anything yeah. stick out to you? Well, I was going to ask, is this the first time that they've kind of done
1: that stuff where they actually kind of... I mean, clearly, uh, Gates McFadden and Brett Spiner know how to dance to a certain extent. I think McFadden probably more than Spiner because there's a couple shots that are clearly a stunt double. Yes. Or a dance double.
0: Yep. Um, She was apparently, before the show, she was apparently a famous Hollywood choreographer.
1: Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'm sure around this time is when Riker's trombone shows up for the first time if I had to guess.
0: Oh, I think he's had the trombone. That's a good question. I think he's had the trombone for a while, but it, you, go ahead. I'll see when his trombone first shows up.
1: Well, I was just... If if this is the f- one of the first instances of them kind of letting the actor's personalities really kind of bleed into the characters a bit more and, and so you can do stuff that's a little less... um, I don't want to say formulaically Star Trek or generically Star Trek or stereotypically Star Trek, but it's like... You start to live with the ship a little bit more, and it's not just mission to mission, episode to episode.
0: You let yeah. things breathe a little bit more. It's um, it's the first time that a night shift has been seen on the mm. show, which is that fascinating. Interesting, yeah, yeah, fascinating because they chose. I, I just even you know we've talked about it before, but I like the sort of. Um, one thing that I do like about the older-style Star Treks is, like, not that it's vital to the show or anything, but it does have that sort of military aspect of, like, relieving each other, and then they give an mm. update about what the situation is and stuff like that. They do that here, but the other thing that's nice is, by choosing Data, they were actually allowed to give you a full 24 hours because he doesn't sleep. So right, you can right. see him right from when he gets relieved at uh, the morning up until he takes over at nighttime, and you get this whole day with him.
1: Yeah, there was... A- there was some extra blocking that I thought was kind of clunky where he goes over to sit down at the uh at the control panel at the front and without even like mentioning or doing anything the woman who's sitting there currently gets up very awkwardly and has to like shuffle by him. Yes. It was yeah. just it was just a strange bit of blocking. <laughs> um I also thought the night shift thing. I would hate to be on the night shift because the dude who was uh <clears throat> most of the people who are in there don't seem to change over. When the night shift comes, and if I was the guy on the, on the, uh, the front panel, I know you people are screaming at me because I don't know what position that is. Yeah, the calm and the um, ops.
0: Data is the com, ops yeah. and is the calm, yeah.
1: Yeah, so if, if, if I was on calm and all of a sudden it switched to night shift and the lights go down like you're on a red-eye plane flight, <laughs> I
0: would fall asleep instantly. You also unfortunately have a uh, a boss who doesn't need to sleep and is never less than one hundred percent yelling yes. at you. So it's like <laughs> yes. he, he doesn't even he won't even give you a break when he's yelling at you to do something and your coffee hasn't kicked in yet.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It would be pretty rough. I, I do like the idea that data just perfectly fits into the night shift though, and he's like he's the the one who gets to to do that stuff. It, it works a lot. I do like the fact I, that even them dimming the ship. I think is kind of a neat thing that I wouldn't have thought of, but I like that they do it.
1: Yeah, what I, what I do really like about this episode, and, and I don't, again, I don't know if it's the first time they do this or, or what, uh, I honestly can't remember, but you get a sense that people are living on the ship. It actually reminded me a bit of the opening of uh, Star Trek Beyond. It had that same kind of feel to the, the the log entry that was being done, and what you were kind of seeing about the the way the ship was, the people on the ship were living, and you know Keiko and O'Brien are getting married. This other woman's having a baby. Uh, there's a, a diplomat coming in, or whatever. Um, it, it's just one of those things where you really get a sense that this is a a community of people. It's not just a uh, exp- exploratory vessel
0: and or a fighting battleship yeah outside of the plot there's actually a universe that's existing and we always thought that ds9 did that better than tng tng never really got into it all that much and when they did they typically did it through episodes like this that were focused on that kind of thing like Mm -hmm. um lower decks in the final season is an episode that focuses entirely on a whole bunch of new characters you've never seen before who are like uh, lower officers on the ship they're not the senior crew um they do it here and you do get a sense that something exists. I, it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, your favorite TOS episode, balance of terror, because there's a wedding in that episode as well. But I think that that one is done that one. The wedding of that one is done a little bit more to show you the fact that despite their best uh, efforts at like maintaining a (coughs) uh, sense of like normalcy and like normality and everything like that, by having weddings and falling in love, they're still living on this frontier space land where everything is dangerous to them yeah and here it's kind of the same idea i I just don't think it comes across quite as well because balance of terror is built around that submarine fights that is the whole point of the episode and the wedding is kind of a tragedy that's built off of that and here here it doesn't really feel like that it feels more just like a day in the life type of event
1: yeah that 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 wedding is there explicitly so they could have the groom die
0: right yes and the tragedy of all that and no one dies here and uh they actually don't even fight with the Romulans. It's a very TNG versus TOS thing. He just, P- Picard just says, let's get the fuck out of here. And they drive off. Yeah. I do have to say,
1: <clears throat> excuse me, um, jumping back into TNG after watching Picard, uh, he feels real different in this show. And I don't know if that's Picard. just, um, yeah, Picard, the character. Yeah. He seems uh, much younger. If...
0: He obviously, he's 30 years younger, but he he definitely looks and seems 30 years younger. Yeah.
1: And on top of that, though, he's just a lot stiffer too. He's he's a lot more. Um, I think as the show goes on, he lightens up a bit, but he's still very stiff. Uh, and I don't mean that like in a in a negative way. It's just the way he's playing Picard is a lot more official and a lot less um, warm to the people around him for the most part. I mean, he's not an asshole. No, but he's just he's very much the captain of the ship.
0: Yes, he 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 realizes he has like official things to do, and he he carries himself very officially like that. I. I
1: was kind of hoping in the scene where he's looking at the at the baby having the newborn baby mm-hmm. that he was instead of like smiling and saying whatever he was going to look down and just go Bleh. <laughs> That's
0: a strange it's kind of a strange scene, right? I I think it it works enough because Picard isn't um Picard doesn't like kids, but I can't see Picard being the kind of character who would respect sort of the miracle of birth. In some ways, mm-hmm. like he, mm-hmm. he he would res- he respects biology, right? It. He doesn't he doesn't care to talk to them, but he respects the cell division and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but I he doesn't listen to them, but he
1: respects the fact that
0: they're being. Uh, <laughs> he respects the fact that they can talk. I um I I think what's funny about coming back to TNG is we're in the midst of Picard. Is um I like I really. It really enhances uh, Stewart's performance in these episodes, I think, mm. to come back. And to, because I think the Picard that he's playing in the modern Picard show is more Patrick Stewart than it is Picard. Yeah, I think so. And he's he's definitely playing a character here. And it comes across in the performance and how he views this sort of like military commander, you know, Starfleet military whatever, as uh, how he would actually go about his day. And while I don't think it's bad that they've moved in Picard to a different way of being, I still wish he carried himself a little bit more similarly to how he does it here. In that, like, you, it was more like you were seeing cracks in his personality as opposed to his personality is totally different 30 years in the future. Mm.
1: Or I, I would also have liked it if you got more of a, not to turn this into a Picard review, but um, if you got to see more of this stuff, this kind of Picard as he gets more in back into space faring, you know, right, which he, he
0: becomes the captain again.
1: Yeah. We, we, which we haven't really ever gotten. he still just kind of seems like he's along for the ride for the most part. Yeah. In that show. Um, but yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely cutting a clear character here. And, uh, uh, it's funny hearing the stories about what he was like on set in the early years. I can see that stuff. Like I can see that everybody else. You mean the pain in the not, ass but,
0: personality? Yeah, like yeah. they're
1: really taking it incredibly seriously. I and mean, you know, you're the lead of a show. You have to do that stuff. Someone has to kind of set the bar. Um, but I can feel that Riker and uh, and uh, Frakes and Spiner and McFadden and and LaForge. All uh, what's the fuck's his name? Uh, Burton, LeVar Burton, Burton, and even uh, Michael Dorn. It seems like they're having a lot more fun with their
0: characters than than Patrick Stewart at this point. <laughs> it's true, yeah. I, but I, and and I think that uh, Stewart's attitude in those days, which was very theater based and like just get the job done kind of thing, as opposed to goofing around, informs the Picard character in a good yes, way. I yeah, think yeah. he's yeah. he's in some ways it's very um, methody of what he was doing, except I don't think he was doing it as a method thing. He was just personally like, I need to get the job done and then we can get the fuck out of here. And the more you laugh while we're trying to film this, the more longer it's going to take. Yeah. Yeah. He's, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a smaller role in this. I just, I, I, I think he just, he carries himself very authoritatively. I guess would be mm. something that like, I'm really picking up on these rewatches of Picard. Like he's very, um, In some ways, he's more authoritarian than Kirk is, which is kind of interesting, Uh, which maybe fits their sort of like cultural understanding and stuff. But I never really considered Kirk to be
1: like an authoritarian.
0: No. Well, he's Kirk is. I would probably. And I'm not. A, this is not an original thought. But Riker is much more like Kirk, which is that he's yeah. he's fun loving, but when the shit starts to go down, he can immediately switch into like a serious point of view and a serious tone of voice and stuff like yeah. that. Kirk Kirk is the kind of guy who, if
1: you're playing cards with him he's going to be joking with you, but he's going to be holding the ace that you don't realize he has the entire time until he hits you with it. Picard Picard is the one that has a stone-cold poker face and then just beats you because he played cards better.
0: (laughs) It's a good analogy, yeah. And that's probably why I thought that Picard is probably a less interesting character than Kirk is because Kirk has that sort of latitude to go both ways. But I am, it's just like, Stuart's performance is just really good as this character in these shows. And like yeah, every time yeah. every time the camera cuts to him and he's saying some nonsense about like a neutral zone or a gas planet or something, like you really feel that this character believes all this shit is yeah, going on. That's and- the most
1: important thing, man. I you know, that's what I learned from wrestling is the most important thing is that you believe whatever the whatever the crap that you're saying is no matter how ridiculous it is, if you go back and you watch like older wrestling, like the 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 glory days of of uh, of wrestling in like the eighties and the seventies and eighties, you listen to someone like the Ultimate Warrior cut kind a of promo. He is saying absolute nonsense, but it is the most captivating nonsense you will ever hear in your entire life because he uh, uh, believes it a hundred percent.
0: Yeah. Yep. No, that's what it is. That's how you pass sci-fi. That's how you pass any of this sort of uh, movie stuff, uh, wrestling. And you can
1: tell, too. You know, you can tell in these shows when they don't believe it. Yes. Because, um, you know, you can tell the people who are just trying to memorize the silly stuff and just say it and get it out. And you can tell the people who are like, oh, they they have a working knowledge of the neutral zone. That's amazing. You're Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, it's the, the difference between just sort of like thinking that you have to get the words right. It's almost a discovery writing problem. It's less about the words and more about like what the words are supposed to mean for this person. Right. And even when they're writing the scripts, a lot of the placeholder until the technical consultants came in would just be like they would write tech the tech in it. Instead of mm-hmm. writing like whatever words they wanted, they would have consultants come in and fill in the science for them. But it, it is just that kind of thing of getting the point across without getting the words exactly right.
1: Yeah, cuz that's, po- that's the that's the that's what the important thing, right, is the feeling and the emotion of the scene. Mm-hmm. It's less that you've got the right oscillator keyed into the transistor that you reverse the polarity of. It's it's more about how you how you are presenting that than it is exactly what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um anything else about this one uh, it's data it's a good it's a pretty good data episode do you say this is a better data episode or a better episode episode hmm <clears throat> I
1: think it's a good data episode not only because you get a good look into into his inner workings but I also really like the 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 letter writing to Bruce Maddox thing
0: yeah it's clever
1: and I, I yeah, I hadn't really thought about it as I was watching. I just like, oh, that, that's that's an interesting way to do this. But as I was thinking about it, it's like that man uh, in another way of in another instance of them understanding the character pretty well. It's it's not like Data holds any ill will towards Bruce Maddox. In fact, he's actively trying to help him in his research. Yeah. Yep. By sending him these updates, um, I mean who knows on the Bruce Maddox I don't know if you've ever been uh the recipient of like a long winded email from a, a family member who lives mm-hmm. abroad by themselves or something <laughs> but it's it's like you know every month you get a, a very long email about all the different bars they went to or something and you're like okay yeah great cool yeah uh-huh. hopefully Bruce Maddox is more in, in, interested than that
0: yeah it's a- <laughs> It's not uh, Uncle Ted Kaczynski in his cabin sending you uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, his treatise on um, technology or anything. I can't wait to
1: hear what you really think about the the governing board at MIT, Uncle Right, Ted.
0: No, I, I, I like the—it's um, a nice callback. It's a nice—it is a good characterization of data that he doesn't hold a grudge and is like this guy who tried to have my head cut off. Uh, I will actually help him with his research because research is good, his data's point of view. Yeah. And— yeah, I think that he's he, I I think it's a better data episode than it is an episode episode, I think. Um I kind of like if it was not data in this role and you put any of the other characters, I don't think it's nearly as interesting. Mm. Um you'd you'd really have to What's funny about this is that because this is a mundane day in the life kind of plot with data you can truly have mundane stuff going on because he will yes, react yeah. to it very inter- like if if riker was going through these exact same things it's not a very interesting episode whatsoever right i do
1: i do think it was interesting though uh um when when data is talking about riker and and his personality and how he's he's good with the ladies yeah, or however, whatever yeah <laughs> <laughs> he comes off of telling telling some story to that uh, redheaded ensign or whoever that sits behind the comm desk or w- whatever that behind the captain Tactical. desk is. Tactical. Uh, my first thought was, I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to do that. that, that, that is, she is definitely a subordinate.
0: Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's, well that's what data's commenting on how he Riker's so smooth he can sexually harass people without people even knowing that they're being sexually harassed, yeah, you know everybody has their talent, I suppose was um do we hear anything about what Riker's saying i i, I look I'm remembering it as everyone was so invested. I thought Riker was just spinning a hell of a yarn for them, and then when he walks away, like three or four people just kind of go back to their positions.
1: Yeah, he's telling some sort of story that's not focused on her, but he's he, they they both shoot each other a couple looks yeah. as he walks away. Though. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and that's a good case of that Riker thing where he's being very lighthearted, but he ends that scene with getting news about the neutral zone or something, and he snaps yeah. back into uh, Riker as commander. And uh,
1: that actress, I, I, I believe I looked her up when we were wa- watching it uh, through the first
0: time because she shows up a lot. I guess that's Gates McFadden's stand-in. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean stand-ins don't have to have the same color hair, but I guess it helps in some cases. But or yeah.
1: maybe it was maybe it's stunt double. I don't know. Pro- she didn't do a lot of stunts, so I think it was stand-in. So I think she was like the the stand-in for for Gates McFadden. Oh, and interesting. So they just gave yeah. her a suit and and made her part of the background cast.
0: All right, I think we're done talking about Data's Day. Let's take a break. We'll play another clip and then we'll come back and give our final thoughts and ratings for Data's Day.
1: You have priority three clearance aboard the Enterprise.
0: That is correct, Ambassador.
1: I require information on this ship's defense and navigational systems. Access code Kappa Alpha four six zero one seven zero four.
0: The code is valid.
1: What is the field strength of this ship's deflector shields at maximum
0: output? May I ask the purpose of your request? I require this information. I have the same safeguards as the ship's computer. Therefore, I must report any inquiry regarding restricted information to the captain. Your reaction suggests you do not wish the captain to be informed of your inquiry.
1: I was not interested in the information.
0: I was curious as to your security safeguards. They appear to be adequate. Cancel the request. You may leave. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. And this is all thanks to the patrons that this episode is out there. So if you want to support the show and you want to be like the other cool kids, you can go to patreon.com slash the file. A couple dollars a month gets you extra stuff like these T&J rewatches, the movie stuff. We have other podcasts. There's about 60 podcasts on the Patreon feed at this point. So you can go there, check them all out. And as always, our captain tier gets a special th- shout out. Special thanks go to Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Captain Court, Cardinal of Doomsday, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, Darth Moss, David Beermore, David K, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, H twenty eight, Jacob one two three, Jeffrey Koch, Joint Mango, Jordan Cooper, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Matt Courier Six, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Oates, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean, Stephen Minton, Tark Latif, Tom Howes, Vault Thirteen Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much guys for making this possible. Thanks for voting about Data's Day. It's a good episode to um a good episode to go back and watch, I think. It's um it certainly fits the Picard coverage that we're doing now, and it's a decent enough episode on its own uh Clay, do you want to give any final thoughts on then your rating as I look up what I actually rated this one i I believe I would have given this a three out of five. Is that how you're feeling with it at this point, or what what do you think
1: Yeah, I would say so. I would give it a three out of five it's um <clears throat> it's very well done uh it's not. It's not blowing my mind with anything, but it is a it is a nice uh, original take on character and uh, episode structure for this show. So yeah, I would I would say it's a solid right down the middle episode. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's um, it's not one I I don't think that I would recommend other people watch really uh, because you kind of need to know about it. What did I give it? I gave it. This is episode I would four. put it. Oh. I would
1: put it in like the second tier maybe. So like once you get familiar with the characters, I would say this is a good one to watch. I actually gave it a 4 originally. Oh. Yeah, I, I honestly think it's a I think it's a high 3 if it's not just a you know, yeah, I think it's I think it's very good um and it just moves really well and it's everything works, nothing feels like it's superfluous. It it all kind of uh, works together pretty well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm honestly I'm a little surprised they gave it a four in the first place. Um, It was coming off a long stretch of threes and twos and a one. So maybe I just got excited by the competency of it. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I think I'm going to revise it down to a three. I don't, I don't really think it's a four. I think it's a strong three, but I mean, it's, it is interesting. It's a, I wish they had almost done more of these kind of very character POV episodes. And, I guess there's not really much of a difference between telling a story that's about a character and having the the sort of voiceover come through for you, but it does feel like you gain an extra level of insight into them by having a, a, the voice in their head come out through the screen.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm glad that they don't you know overdo it,
0: but uh, it
1: it is a it is a. Um...
0: And in some ways, it's very similar to the the logs that they do, which is the same kind of idea, right? I was
1: just going to say it's it's the benefit of this show that you know we talked about when we covered Discovery how how much it felt like the show was leaving on the table because they never do a captain's log, and when they do do a captain's log, you feel like oh okay, you know, like it's it it's it's a trapping of the show that isn't being exploited on that show, and it's also something that can do a lot of heavy lifting for you. Uh, storytelling wise Um, it's almost like it's like kind of a a narrative captions in a comic book where you know if you got to get stuff rolling if you got to cut a couple corners stories wise that's what that's there for yeah and uh, it's a nice it's a nice um, inversion isn't the word but it's a nice use of that thing that's already built into this series as a way to tell a different kind of story
0: yeah yeah i'd agree yeah, I'm going to uh, I'm going to revise my rating of this one to a 3. It's a strong 3, I think. Um it's very unique. It's a good episode. There's certainly nothing wrong with it, but I'm not sure it's one that uh meets my definition of a 4, which would be like, "Oh, out of all these, I'm going to show you this one." It's kind of on the line of those, but I think I'll I think I'll revise it just to give myself a little bit of excitement here in my day-to-day. <laughs> um any other thoughts about this one? I can't wait till past you and and present you
1: have a big uh argument on the I know.
0: Show. I know. He's going to be past me. He's going to be very disappointed that I'm adjusting all of his hard work, uh, going back and redoing all this stuff. <laughs> That's it. I think we're done with Data's Day. Thank you, patrons, for doing this. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If this is your first time through, I hope you enjoyed it. So you can check out all the uh, the modern podcast stuff that we're doing on the channel uh, because it'll sound more like this. And I think uh, I think we must have been in the groove by the time the original one came around, but it's it was uh, it was a long time ago, so it's hard to know. Are we done here? Anything? That's yeah, not really worth plugging because it's an old episode. But check out the Patreon, check out all that stuff, patreoncom slash file. You can check out. all I the can't other wait shows. to
1: see what happens in 2014. I know, or 2015,
0: 2018, <laughs> <laughs> or no, the 2016 was the uh, presidential. I can't believe that was 2016. All right, um, yeah, time. I'm just trying
1: to remember when when this came out originally. What the year? The
0: original one would have been. It's good to just go to Pensky Podcast Data's. let's see just so that we know how does it not Penske podcast I am going to look this up I'm going to kill time I'm typing it into the Google data's day it came up this was posted on 11-23-15 you know what I'm feeling really confident about
1: the Cubs next year. I think I'm going to put a bunch of money on the Cubs.
0: <laughs> Eleven twenty-three fifteen, almost five years ago. So, however our opinions change, let us know what you thought about the episode. All that stuff. Thank you for listening, guys. Check out the latest episodes at thepenskepodcast dot com. dot com. Thank you very much, Clay. Thanks for coming back to talk about Data's Day. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we, uh, that, it's been a while since we've uh, we've had to say that. So. Thank you very much, guys, for listening. We'll see you next time.